this public service announcement is paid in part by Rob Z Radio. Are you tired of strangers flipping you off in store parking lots? Yeah, I get that all the time. Maybe you should try returning your shopping cart. What? Return it? (laughs) I don't work here. When you don't return your cart, those convenient wheels that help carry your groceries can hurdle themselves toward other cars and... Hey, you... That's a new car! What's his problem? Well, if you had walked your empty shopping cart to the clearly marked cart corral, none of this would happen. And people will treat me like the beautiful person I think I am? That's right! I'm going to start returning my empty shopping cart right away! Good for you, shopper. Oh, it's kind of far, though. (sighs) Morons! Morons! Why can't you just take the shopping cart back? But you know people work there. You know there's some 16-year-old kid with earbuds in listening to Slim Thug. Nobody's listening to Slim Thug anymore. He's listening to Young Thug, maybe? I'm so out of touch. You know he's walking around the grocery store, walking outside, seeing all the shopping carts, collecting 85 shopping carts at a time. I used to be that 16-year-old. At Weiss Markets, I used to go and I'd collect the shopping carts in the middle of the winter. The wind blurring against my face. The snow crashing down upon my body. And I would pile at least 15 to 30 to 45 shopping carts all together and try to push those bad boys inside. I hit a couple of cars in my day with the shopping carts, I'm not gonna lie. But you know the cars that I did try to hit? They were the ones... Who walked outside, maybe had like two or three bags, put those bags in their car. Then they just let that shopping cart sit there in the empty spot. Or they conveniently place it somehow in the corner of the four corners of the four cars that were parked adjacent to their spot. And they'd position it just perfectly. They could back out and the cart would sit there untouched. I'd have to walk over. I'd have to get that cart. I'd have to put that cart on the rack with the other carts. And if I saw you do it, before you drive away, I'd ram you with a pile of shopping carts. You think your automobile can handle 45 shopping carts crashing down upon it? It can't. I never really did that, actually. I did hit a couple of cars on accident, but I never rammed shopping shopping carts into cars on purpose. But man, is that the kind of stuff that irritates me. Unless you're handicapped. If you're handicapped, I get it. Take the shopping cart, throw it on the ground, and light it on fire. That's fine. But if you're not handicapped and you don't have a reason, even if you have a kid, I have a kid. I'll put Max in the car, and I'll walk the shopping cart over. Or I'll ride him over in the cart, pick him up, and leave the shopping cart there. There's a moment of clarity for you. I'm just being real. This is just... This is the life of Rob Z. The life of Z. So earlier today, I put this post. I shouldn't say earlier today. Earlier tonight, I put this post on Facebook, and it may be one of my biggest posts of all time. And it's so simple. If you want to follow me, follow me on Facebook, uh, it's Facebook Rob Z Radio. And I'm a big Seinfeld fan from back in the day. I don't really watch Seinfeld anymore because I watched so much Seinfeld whenever I was young that I've completely burnt myself out. I've seen too much Seinfeld. I know every line from every single episode, and I posted on my Facebook, write one or two words with no explanation that only a true Seinfeld fan would understand, okay? And this thing exploded on my Facebook wall. 
almost 350 comments at this point. I, only, I posted it three hours ago. Because people love Seinfeld. It's not me. It's Seinfeld. It's what Jerry Seinfeld did. And what Larry David did. I'm a big Curb Your Enthusiasm fan as well. But as people were leaving comments, you know, one or two words with no explanation, they ended up extending it into three or four or five or six words. Whatever the famous phrase was from one of the famous episodes. And Seinfeld's one of those shows, like I grew up, I was young, okay? So whenever it was like, when Seinfeld was at its peak, I was probably in like eighth grade. Very impressionable. My uncle Tim loved Seinfeld. I loved Seinfeld. We'd get together every week and we'd watch it. And we'd watch the reruns. And when the show ended, we'd watch even more reruns over and over. And then even not even being with my uncle Tim, I'd watch them by myself at my house. I bought the DVDs. And I'd burn it out for myself. But going back and watching an episode every now and again, I can do. It's funny because 90s TV is funny like that. Like the canned laughter. But Seinfeld was genuine real laughs. Like a lot of sitcoms had canned laughter. But when Seinfeld was as hilarious as it was, you didn't need the canned laughter because you were really laughing your ass off. So people left so many good comments on my Facebook wall. I had to pick just a couple. And I'm just going to play little snippets on the air so I don't get sued because I hope I don't get sued. I'm, I'm honoring Seinfeld. If you listen to this, I'm honoring the show Seinfeld. I'm not playing episodes. I'm playing like second long clips. Here's one of my favorites. He took it out. <laughs> He what? He took it out. Now, kids, if you're wondering what he took out, (laughs) I don't know how to beat around the bush here. He pulled his penis out of his pants, okay? One of the funniest moments in Seinfeld ever. That's one that somebody posted. I was crying laughing, just reading it. Just reading it on a Facebook comment was so funny to me because Seinfeld was just one of those shows that... It was so goofy, it was so dumb, especially in the later seasons. I love, that's my that's my favorite sense of humor. It almost reached, like, naked gun level stupid at some point in time. Do you know what I mean? Like, really, really stupid movie humor level. That's the level it got to towards the end. I love that about Seinfeld. Another one of my favorites, another comment. Hello? Is somebody there? <laughs> Mr. Marbles? I don't know who Mr. Marble is. <laughs> I don't know who Mr. Marvel is. I don't know why he says that, but that's one of my, I just, I die laughing. I die laughing every single time I hear it. I can't help it. So if you're a Seinfeld fan, go on my Facebook wall, Rob Z Radio, leave a comment. And it's funny because whenever somebody leaves it, I know like the next line coming up after they say the famous phrase, or I know like the theme of the episode, like the whole thing jumps back into your brain if you're a Seinfeld fan. If you're not a Seinfeld fan, then you're probably annoyed right now. You were a Friends fan, weren't you? There's two kinds of people in this world, Friends fans and Seinfeld fans. And, you know, unless you're, unless you were at the right age in 1997, you may not know exactly what I'm talking about, but if you were at the right age, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I liked Friends, but Seinfeld was the show, man. And I think my favorite line of all time, nobody posted this one. I posted this one. I had 350 comments. I posted on my own post. That's how much of a nerd I am. She's bald. <laughs> bald. What do you think I mean, bald? Bald. You're bald. George is dating a bald girl, and he's bald, but he's wearing a hairpiece. But he's the one who's actually bald, and Elaine goes, you're bald. And I don't know why. That's just one of those 
moments in that show that cracked me up. So if you're a Seinfeld fan, Facebook, Rob Z Radio, let's start the show. <laughs> This is Rob Z Radio. Hi, friends. This is Rob Z Radio. You can always call the show, by the way, uh, 814-799-0064. 814-799-0064. You can leave a message that I will play on the air. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Rob Z Radio. Twitter and Snapchat is Rob Z, yo. And uh, something I've been doing lately on the show is is combining books together. I love to read, and there's, there's just so many good books out there in the world. So I'm going to pull from two awesome books, and if you're not a book reader and you're like, that's so lame, just pull, hear me out. I've got a really cool message here. So there's a, a DJ, somewhat of a famous DJ, at least in DJ culture, uh, Dave Ryan. Shout out to Dave Ryan. Um, I forget what radio station. What is it? Uh, oh, yeah, in the Twin Cities. 101.3 KDWB, the Dave Ryan Show, iHeartRadio. Um, I never met the guy, but I, I learned a lot from him through, uh, there's a, a website called, or a, like a message board. I used to be a radio DJ, if you didn't know, if you can't tell by this voice. Uh, and uh, it was called Studio Think Tank, and he was one of the main contributors to Studio Think Tank. So... On Studio Think Tank, people would leave, you know, words of advice, and they would, like, you know, just... uh, Veterans would leave these words of advice. Veterans in radio would leave these awesome nuggets of information for you to pick from and use on your radio show. And I I just... Dave Ryan was one of those guys who left amazing advice, and he wrote a book. So this book came out... um, I, I bought it as soon as it came out, because being a radio DJ at the time, I wanted to learn from... One of the greats. Uh, let's see. When was it written here? I don't know if that's even important. I don't think it is. Uh, 2015. So it's called Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. Another shit that I learned the hard way by Dave Ryan. See, now I love having a podcast because on the radio I couldn't say other shit I learned the hard way. It's the name of the book. I'm just reading. Okay. Somebody else wrote it. But uh, one of the things that I found in this book. It's on page 36 if you ever buy it. This is a really cool book because it's very small, it's very short, and it's just tons of, like, one-hit notes. Like, it's basically a bunch of, like, radio breaks. Like, in radio, you try to get in, you try to get out. You don't want to be on the air for a long time rambling. The opposite of a podcast. Uh, But whenever you do get in and get out, you try to get your your information in right away. And he has, like, these uh, numbers one through, uh, what... How many numbers does he have in this book? One through 100 of, of simple notes, simple points that he makes, of ways to live your life. Number 23 in the book is a Mark Twain quote. And it says, The man who doesn't read good books is no better off than the man who cannot read good books. Let that one sink in for a second. Because what Dave Ryan is saying, and this is what Mark Twain is saying, and Dave Ryan's reiterating it, the man who doesn't read good books, so if you, or man or woman, human, who's able to read, if you do not read good books, then you are no better off than the person who is illiterate. Now, the crazy part in our world today, out of 7 billion people, um, over a billion, I think, over a billion are unable to read. What's that word? 
Why can't I think of the word for not being able to read? <sighs> Rob, pull it together, bro. Uh, but yeah, so illiterate. There we go. It came to me. So if you, one in seven people on the face of the earth, so one billion people, it's one in seven, cannot read. The man who doesn't read good books is no better off than that person who cannot read at all. So if you can't even read, then you're no better, then you're on the same level as somebody who doesn't bother to read the greatest books of all time. Does that, I hope that makes sense to you. And it's a great quote because it's 100% true. Because good books, and when I say good books, I don't mean reading Twilight. I don't mean reading something just to pass the time. I mean reading something to soak some information into your brain. Get some information in there that's going to blow your freaking mind. You know what I'm saying? Uh, It's important because it's going to change your life. It's going to give you a different outlook on life. And you also get to learn from other people who have already made mistakes, who have already gone through things and done great things. You learn from them. Just by reading what they write. So when you read a good book, you're gathering all this information that somebody who can't read and somebody who chooses not to read will never get. You're not going to get the information. I used to think back in the day when I would re- when I would watch documentaries. I'm like, man, I don't need to read. I watch so many documentaries. Like the information soaking in. I remember maybe like point zero one percent of what I watched in a documentary. Of all the hundreds of thousands of documentaries that I watched. But when I read the information sticks. And one of the reasons it sticks, because I highlight things, I note things that I want to go back and look at again. When you read a great book, you will go back and you will read that book and the parts that you love the most again and again because that information stays with you. And that's that's what I do here on the show sometimes. I'm, I'm giving you, you know, information that I've learned throughout the years. And this is something, boom, that I love. Like, read a good book. How do you find a good book? What's a good book to read if you're trying to fill your brain with knowledge? If you're trying to fill your brain with information that's going to last. Uh, Me personally, a lot of people think this guy's kind of douchey. But Ty Lopez, he's taught me a lot just through his online courses. I've learned a lot. And I'm where I am today, I'd say 45 to 50 to 60% because of Ty Lopez. Okay? And if you want to find him, T-A-I, Ty, T-A-I-L-O-P-E-Z.com. And you can just click books on his website, and it will give you a list of his favorite books. And just go on Amazon, buy those books. And I'm not joking around. Like, just get the books he recommends because there's great ones on there. And once you start to read, then you start to find other great books from other great people like this one. Take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. And other shit that I learned the hard way by Dave Ryan. Awesome book. Easy read. But another one is by Martin Seligman, okay? He was the author of Authentic Happiness, and he also wrote the book Learned Optimism, How to Change Your Mind and Your Life. This is one of those books that uh, whenever I first read it, because when I first read a book, I'll go through, and if I'm, like, super into it and I, I can't, I'm getting so much good information out of it, I'll, you know, cross things, check things, circle things that I love, but not all the information sinks in. So when I go back and like read over like what I had circled or what I had highlighted before, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many points in here that I need to just go back and and have these stick to my brain. That's why documentary, oh geez, choked a little bit. (laughs) That's why documentaries don't work as well because for me at least, maybe some people can retain all the information and they're amazing. Their memories are amazing. Not me. I have to go back and read it a couple of times. Uh, But in this book, I made a note on page 110. 
success at work, the realms of life, learned optimism. Let me give a little background before I go any further. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, a he- I'm a head case. I struggle a lot in my own mind. I argue with myself. I'm no doubt my own worst enemy. No doubt. And I know that about myself, which is a good thing. <laughs> but the other part, the, the real important part, is learning it, taming it, and changing it. So I'm in the process of doing that. And this book really helped me with a lot of this learned optimism, learning how to be happy, learning how to think positively, even maybe when you feel like you shouldn't, just changing that, switching your mind. So I'm going to read this as it is. The evidence seems to be that depressives are accurate. So let me, I'll just say it so it might be easier to understand. The evidence shows that depressed people or more tend to be depressed people are accurate. They tell you, for example, that they got 21 right and 19 wrong. Say it's a test, right? They, they say exactly how it went. They got 21 right, 19 wrong. It is the non-depressed people who distort the past. They may tell you that they got 12 wrong and 28 right. Now, does that make sense? So the depressed people, and I'm just, I'm paraphrasing, right? They're paraphrasing. They're, they're, cl- they're lumping everybody into a hole. But in general, the depressed people claim, this is from a study they did, that they got 28 right, 19 wrong. But the people who are non-depressed may tell you that they got 12 right and 28 12 wrong and 28 right. Now, what what is the reason here? Well, it means on average optimistic people will distort reality and pessimists and this is all scientifically proven. Okay, I'm not reading this and like making it up or or assuming it's true. Like it's all from scientists, it's all from people who've done the research. I'm just reading what was written. Uh but they said that optimistic people will distort reality and pessimists will see the world as it is. The pessimist seems to be at the mercy of reality, whereas the optimist has a massive defense against reality that maintains good cheer in the face of relentlessly indifferent of a relentlessly indifferent universe. Beautifully said. I didn't say it right, but the way they wrote it is beautifully written. Uh, it is important to remember, however, that this relationship is statistical and that pessimists do not have to have a lock on reality. Some realist minority are optimists. Okay, so some people who are realists, who are like, who see the world as it is, they see reality. Some of those people are optimists. And some people who distort reality, the minority, are pessimists. I hope this makes sense to you because what he's saying is, yes, some people who are realists can be optimists. And some people who are distorters of reality, who make things look better or worse than they actually are, are actually pessimists, but the majority of the people who are pessimists are at the mercy of reality, and I love that, the mercy of reality, and that's me to the extent where I'm actually uh, a pessimist, I've always been in my head, I'm, I'm attempting to change this, you would never know outwardly, my wife knows because she lives with me, but I don't think anybody else would ever guess this of me, you know, a pessimist who I, I usually don't distort reality, You know, I'll take it as is, and if something goes really right, then I might even tend to try to sabotage it by distorting reality to make it not as good as it should be. I was telling my wife this a couple of weeks ago, that I'm the kind of person that if something goes right, I'll feel guilty for feeling really good. I don't know where that comes from, 
and I'm sure I'm sure a, a psychologist could really break it down and tell me why that is the way that I am. Uh, but that's the way that I do think sometimes. So I, I feel like this line, as I was rolling through this book, I was like, that stands out so much to me. It stands out so much, and it makes a whole lot of sense that I'm at the mercy of reality. And the optimist has this massive defense built against reality, and they have this good cheer in the face of relentlessly in, in a relentlessly indifferent universe. Because the universe doesn't give a damn. The universe does not care if you're a, a pessimist or if you're an optimist. It doesn't matter to the universe. It's just going to do what it does. But if you can live your life in a bit of a delusional, optimistic haze, not delusional to the point where it's a bad thing, but just to the point where you see the lighter side of things, you see the brighter side of things. That's the beautiful thing, man. That's what I wish to attain. That's my wife, right? She'll, she'll see the positive in so many things. She'll see the, see the optimism in so many things. And I envy that about her. I, I love that about her. That's one of the things that I admire, that she, she's able to do that because I'm learning that <laughs> slowly. And trust me, slowly, but I'm getting there. So if you're a, an optimistic person, bless you. In the area where I live, in, in central Pennsylvania, I, you know, I don't want to down the place where I live, but I don't meet many optimistic people. And that's why I'm not necessarily optimistic, because a lot of people are beaten down by life. They don't take advantage of life. They let life uh, take advantage of them. I just want to be one of those people who sees the lighter side. And even if you have to distort reality, even if you have to lie to yourself a little bit, just to make yourself happier, what the hell is wrong with that? And what the hell is wrong with somebody like myself who, when you you have like an exuberant feeling inside of you, a, woo, like I feel great, like I want a Ric Flair, woo, you know, you feel so good. That good feeling feels too good, and you feel like you should squash that good feeling. That shouldn't be the way you live life. You should walk through life with a smile on your face, ready to go on to the next thing, ready to crush the next thing, and just ready to be an awesome person, altruistic, with a lot of empathy, and with a lot of positivity pouring out of you. And that's what I got out of this line from Martin Seligman. So if you're looking for a wonderful book, and it's good. I mean, learned optimism has, like, actual tools in it. Like, you don't just read it. Like, you do work. You read it and you do some work on yourself, which sounds daunting at first, but there's these little tests inside of it. And I love the tests in this book. This is a wonderful read. So if you want two great books, take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything by Dave Ryan, and learned optimism, how to change your mind and your life. I'm working towards it. I'm not there. Trust me, trust me that I'm not there, but I'm getting there. And if you want to take that journey, check out those reads. They're pretty sweet. I think that's the bulk here. When I said the bulk, that was like the bulk of the show. You know what I mean? But I also wanted to talk to you a little bit here about your social media. So what I'm doing now with my life, I'm, of course, podcasting, as you can tell, but also social media marketing for uh, small to medium-sized businesses, and I'm bringing the personality out of the business. I'm bringing you, what you're all about, what your business is all about online. It's an inexpensive form of marketing, the least expensive, the best targeted form of marketing there is. If you're interested in working with me, I would love to just simply talk to you, give you some free advice, sit down, find out what you're all about, find out what your business is all about, 
And even if you're a personal brand, like you're somebody who's trying to, you know, brand yourself and make money off your name, um, that's something I can help you with as well. You know, I've been working hard at this for a long time now. Facebook, Instagram is where you can find me. Send me a message, Rob Z Radio. Over 10,000 on Facebook, over 4,000 on Instagram. That's pretty big for a small town. I live in a small town, and I've I've grown that organically. My Twitter, which is Rob Z Yo, is over 30,000. And, uh, you know, my Snapchat is Rob Z Yo as well. So if you're interested and you want to talk to me about social media marketing, I would love to talk to you. I'm only doing five to six clients at a time. I'm trying to do quality over quantity. That's my goal. So uh, if you want to be involved, please just message me on one of my platforms. We'll meet up. We'll get together. I do consulting. I do marketing. And I love to be focused on you, on your staff focused on your business, on the personality of your business. And like when you're a small to medium-sized business, the person who runs that business is not much different from the business itself. Because if somebody knows you, somebody knows the business. If somebody knows the business, somebody knows you. Because when you run something that's only a couple of people doing it, you know, you become synonymous with that business. And that's just the way it is. So if you want some help, I would love to help you out. Message me on social media. We'll talk. We'll figure things out. And uh, it'll be a really good time. Now, before I get out of here, I got one more Seinfeld moment for you. <laughs> Maybe my favorite of all time, okay? And somebody, nobody wrote this one. Oh, no, no, wait, somebody did write this one. They wrote, they wrote Wide Lanes on the Facebook post. And I thought, Wide Lanes? Oh, man. That's when Kramer, oh, wait, no, that's when, that's when Newman is driving the mail truck. I think that's that episode. Is that the, I hope I have the right episode. Newman's driving the mail truck, and he has a, a Singer sewing machine that falls on the ground. He runs over it. <laughs> the, the greatest moment in Seinfeld history. Oh! Oh! Come on! Am I going to get pulled from this? Don't pull me. I love Seinfeld. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> oh, I can't even handle it. It's so good. <laughs> oh, man. If you love Seinfeld, uh, leave a comment on Facebook, Rob C. Radio. If you're interested about getting your social media running right, you can send me a message on Facebook, Rob C. Radio. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to find out what you're all about. And I want to give you a pro tip right now before we end the show. Uh, pro tip for you. If you're married or if you're in a relationship, you're a guy, and you don't know how to say the sweet things. I'm not great at saying the sweet things. I learned this one a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, man, that is a great tip. I learned it from a, a guy who's been married for a long time, and I was like, dude, you just killed it with this one. He said when he goes to Walmart or anywhere alone that sells cards, like Hallmark cards, he'll go to the card section He'll read all the love cards. Not all the love cards, but he'll read through and find one that's, like, really good. Like, it's something that, like, he thinks his wife would love, but he would never be able to say himself. And then he texts her the entire card, right? So he'll, like, read this love, this beautiful love poem that he just has, like, he might not even be feeling it. I mean, I guess he read it, so he's got to feel it a little bit to be able to text it. (laughs) He'll copy it. 
line for line and send it to his wife, and she buys it hook, line, and sinker. I don't. I personally don't think my wife would buy it hook, line, and sinker. But man, is that a damn good pro tip? So if you're in a relationship, guys, girls, not quite much. That's not quite a pro tip for you. And remember, girls, if your guy texts you something really, really sweet, like this long, beautiful poem, know that he stole that shit from a Walmart. I'm just saying, I gotta go. See ya. That's brutal.